What's up, everybody? It's time for another Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Keefe. Today's podcast is an interview with Seven Dust guitarist John Connolly. Seven Dust's new album, Blood and Stone, releases from Rise Records this week. Check it out. The Ghost Cult Magazine podcast welcomes in John from Seven Dust. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm well, thanks so much. Um... Always good to chat with you and talk about the band. Um, obviously, you know, first and foremost, I like to try to start these interviews with a little bit of humanity. I know uh, it's a tough time in the world. Hopefully, all things considering you and the whole Seven Dust crew are hanging in there as well as can be. You guys have lost a lot this year, and uh, I just hope you're hanging in there. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, it's bizarre. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I mean, we've never quite seen anything uh you know like this you know as far as our industry goes um and you know we're just trying to make the best of it you know just turn down time to you know write music and obviously uh you know catch up with the uh to-do list around the house it's just plenty of that time uh other than that yeah it's uh it's definitely uh it's it's a strange one for sure um hopefully we're starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully you know 2021 we'll be able to kind of get back to the normal uh, groove of things or at least some, you know, close to a normal uh, type of thing, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're we're not in a unique spot. I mean, the whole business is basically uh, sidelined. I mean, there's I, I guess there's a handful of bands that are out there kind of doing some live shows and stuff like that. And uh, I'm not sure if it's, uh, you know, too advisable. <laughs> but either way, uh, you know, at, at some point, I, I, I think we'll... Uh, Yeah, of course. I, you know, I personally, like I said, it's. I always say it's not just the bands or journalists or the record labels, but a whole, you know, a whole swath of people who you know work at venues and tour bus drivers and merch, you know, tour managers and merch slingers and rigging people and lighting and everything. It's just crazy, and we're probably going to come back from this last. That's the thing, you know. Well, that, that's the thing that a lot of people kind of miss, you know, a lot of people, you know, when you talk to people, they, you know, they're like, oh, Ariana Grande is rich and, you know, Beyonce's got money, she can afford to do it. I'm like, yeah, but what about her accountant and what about her booking agent and what about her stylist and what about her, you know, there's, there's a whole crew of people that make all of these tours, regardless of whether it's the biggest artist in the world or you know, a local band. Um, there's a crew that's involved and, you know, it, it's the whole business. It's not just the artists. So, but yeah, you know, it, it does suck the fact that it's probably going to be the last thing to come back. Um, you know, I mean, that kind of shows <laughs> just how important we really are, I guess. <laughs> you know, we're uh, not really deemed uh, that important, you know. But I mean, in, in a time, you know, in a place that we're at right now with this thing, um, you know, I mean, fortunately, I think most people are, are taking it seriously and are, you know, at least kind of using common sense. Um, and to be quite honest with you, I don't blame people for not wanting to go to a concert right now. I wouldn't risk it, you know. I mean, if you have to go to the grocery store to get food, you know, put food on the table and something like that, it's one thing. But you don't have to go see a concert. So, as much as it sucks to be sitting on the sidelines, I mean, trust me, we would love to be be able to get out there and do it. Um, but it, it's it's just uh, you know, it, it's it's a fine line between, you know, at what point does 
everybody, all those behind the scenes people, those crew, those bus drivers, the accountants, booking agents and all that stuff. At what point are they not able to continue to do this anymore? And that's, that's kind of a tipping point, you know, it's like you sort of have to balance out the seriousness of the pandemic um, versus, you know, bills. I mean, people have mortgages to pay. People have, you know, they're going to pay the power bill, the water bill, stuff like that. That stuff just doesn't stop um, just because your income does. And it's a, it's a fine place to be, too, because, you know, loans, you know, employment, things like that. We don't fit the normal mold. Um, you know, when you try to explain to someone <laughs> how you make your living, it's like, uh, it, you know, it comes from so many different places. Um and most of those places are all on a definite hiatus right now. So it's it's bizarre. It's interesting for sure. Um, it definitely has, has, you know, opened our eyes as a family uh, just on what we can do budget-wise. You know, what do we need? What what can we get rid of? What, what can we do without? What, what can we put off? What can we, uh, you know, make stretch as long as, as possible? So, you know, hopefully we'll get a couple years down the road. We'll look back on this and it'll be a... It'll be a big learning uh, process that, that we've all gone through, you know, because uh, it does suck, you know. I, I don't think it sucks as bad now as it did, um, you know, March and April was just, I mean, it was crazy just to try to get your head wrapped around the fact that it was like, all right, you got a record coming out and you're not going to tour this year for sure. Um, it's a strange thing to accept, you know. And those first couple of months, obviously, we're, we're always, you know, the toughest because it's it's an adaptation all around. I mean, homeschooling, everybody being in the house, you know, I'm working at home, I'm working on music, my wife's working at home, my daughter's doing homeschooling, virtual schooling, and, you know, it's just like trying to stay out of each other's way, but at the same time, you know, trying to be supportive and understanding, and, uh, you know, it's it's definitely been one of the, one of the most bizarre years I, I think I've ever been through in my entire life. I can't remember anything quite like this. <laughs> Right on. And this is probably, I'm guessing, the longest stretch of time you've been home in 25, 26 years of Seven Dust, you know? Yeah, you know, it was voluntarily. <laughs> right. Um, Not on purpose. I think, I think the longest, the longest that we took off, we took one year off. Um, I remember at a band, we said, you know what, we need to give, we need to give our fans a break. We need to give um, ourselves a break. And it was, it was kind of crazy just to look at each other and say, okay, we're going to take a year off. And the point was just, you know, we had just tour recorded, tour recorded, tour recorded. I mean, it was like we never, we never stopped. So for us, it, it was, you know, financially, it was one of those things where we had to kind of get our ducks in a row and, you know, figure out how we were going to be able to make ends meet, you know, and, and what were we going to do with the time, you know? I mean, we obviously still worked on music and did some side projects and things like that. But, but yeah, this will end up being, I mean, the last time we played a show, we did a couple of acoustic shows after Christmas in 2019. So that was probably the last time that we actually played a show. The last proper tour we did was like August, September of 2019. So yeah, this, this is definitely, this is definitely a long one. I mean, it's weird too, because you know, we're you know, getting ready for this live stream thing and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I need to stand up. <laughs> I, need to, I need to remind myself how, how it feels to actually stand up and play guitar because I've been sitting you know, in a chair for months working on music and it's a totally different thing. So it's like, oh man, the muscle memory kind of starts to fade, you know, so got to get back in shape to, you know, pull that off. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely the longest we've, we've been off for sure. I mean, in our entire career. Right on. And, uh, you know, again, just, uh, 
I'm sure we'll get it all back and let's, you know, I think the personally, let's, you know, hopefully wait until it's all back for sure and not like a false start or do a show and have a bunch of people get sick and then not have shows again for a long time. On a more positive and uplifting note, uh, you know, Blood and Stone, man, I, I've had a chance to spend some time with this record and shout out to the PR team and the label for uh, hooking me up. And um, yeah, man, it's really, it's quite a thing. First of all, it, you know, you guys always come prepared. There's never any fat to trim. All the songs are, you know, just so well composed and and thoughtful. But I find this to be like a very, you know, soulful, like a very more soulful side of Seven Dust, a very introspective, grown you know grown up with the world seven dust album if i may oh that's cool <laughs> yeah man uh speaking to the middle-aged guy in me i'm sure you know it's like uh it's a long time ago since pushing people in the mosh pit to black and terminator but right, uh right. you know songs like dying to live and love and feel like going on and you know nothing nothing left to see here anymore and against the world it's like you know it's kind of that uh grown-up kind of uh, musically and lyrically and, and everything is just kind of like very grown and still rocking, but very mature. Oh, that's cool, man. I, I, you know, I, I think that vibe was something that we were, uh, you know, we hopped in the studio. It's like, we're, we kind of wear our heart on our sleeve when we make a record. Like we, it's, we've had discussions where we're like, okay, what kind of a record are we gonna make? And you sit here and you try to, you know, figure out you know what the agenda is what the goal is and it never happens because we're so influenced by the day you know the day in day out the the, the most recent thing that's going on the state of the world the state of the band the state of our you know your family life your home life you know just being inspired and, and influenced by your surroundings and i don't know i mean in 2019 i think we came off that that tour uh, for all i see is war and we were just we were just in a really good headspace, you know. I mean, we we felt it was like okay, you know. Like, people ask me like, is this going to be, you know, a commercial record? Is it going to be the heaviest record you guys have ever made? And you know, to answer honestly, back while we were doing it, I was like, I have no idea. You know, it's it's kind of like we know we're going to make a record. I could not tell you for the life of me what it's going to end up, you know, sounding like until it's finished, just because we kind of let it come to us. Um, Try not to force anything, you know. It was like obviously we wanted to have a nice flow with the record. We wanted to kind of, you know, spread some stuff out, some heavier stuff, some more mellow stuff. But but there was no like, all right, we need you know two ballads or we need you know two super super heavy songs or whatever like that. You know, it was just it was just that record that we just made, and then when we finished it, we kind of looked at the board and looked at each other, and we went, okay, <laughs> that's what kind of a record we got. Um, but yeah, I, I think we were just in a in a really really good headspace. You know, it was like we went through a, a period there. You know, um, back during the you know the two thousand five, six, seven, eight. You know, when we had you know Clint step out for a minute to go do Dark New Day, and we were dealing with a lot of just you know we'd gotten out of the TBT contract, but we were just dealing with a lot of internal you know, struggle with management, you know, just a lot of business stuff. And it was just, you know, there was a lot of angst there. So like I said, that wasn't really planned either. That was just us reacting to our environment. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, in, in this, uh, with, with this record, in this, you know, situation, I think we were, uh, we were a little happier, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, we still obviously want to, you know, kind of talk about things that, 
you know, we're going through and that are super relatable to everybody. But at the same time, I just, I don't know, you know, I, I think we were all looking at each other and just, you know, in a really, really good spot. It wasn't like we, you know, a decade before that, you know, it might have been at noon, we have a conference call, you know, with our attorney and, you know, an hour and a half after we get off the attorney call, you're supposed to go in there and be super creative and, you know, you're just kind of weighed down by the, you know, the brutality of, okay, business, 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 uh, which has nothing to do with art. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing in the world when you have to try to balance those two things out. You know, you got to focus on the business side of it because it's important, but at the same time, you don't want it to dictate what you're actually writing about, how, how you're creating the music, um, you know, and we're just super inspired by our environment. I remember when we did, um, was it called Day in Memory? I'm trying to think. I believe it was Kill the Flaw. Um, you know, we decided to do it up in Butler, New Jersey in the middle of February. It was just like snowstorm after snowstorm after snowstorm. You know, an hour and a half of shoveling snow and struggling just to get to the studio. So by the time you got to the studio, all of us were just pissed off. You know, and after that experience, we just said, you know what, we're going to start making records in Florida. <laughs> you know, let's go to Disney World. Let's go, you know, play golf, go to the beach, you know, right. kind of be in a, you know, change your mindset, change your mood, you know. But with this record, I think we were just in a, you know, in a much happier place, I guess, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better description, you know. Right on. And I think maybe some of that happiness and maybe that comfort level is, you know, continuing the relationship with Elvis. He's, you know, he is kind of like, and you guys all produce music also, all of you. I think people don't appreciate that. You guys know how to make records as well, but it's good to have that trust in somebody else you can rely on to collaborate and be like a, a voice outside the band. Um, For sure. Yeah. And there was no getting to know you because we've been through, I mean, I've been working with Elvis, um, in one way, shape, form, or another, since 2012, mm. he met the first projected record. And I had met Elvis when he moved here to Orlando, because I'm real close with the Alterbridge guys, and obviously he's been their producer since Blackbird. So, you know, he's always been around. We've always seen him. You know, we crossed paths quite a bit. I mean, uh, ironically enough, the last picture that I actually posted of me and Elvis and Jeff was with Eddie Van Halen. Mm. Um, and that was the last time that I got a chance to see Van Halen play. And I remember, you know, Elvis is a huge Eddie fan. I mean, enormous uh, Eddie Van Halen fan. So, you know, having that that picture pop up in, in the feed, I was kind of like, wow, that was that was the beginning of the relationship for the most part, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been eight years, and uh, he's a dear friend, and, and he's he's someone that that I trust with music. I trust his opinion, you know, because he doesn't. There's no getting to know you when you go in there. Obviously, you know, anytime that you work with a new producer, there's that feeling out period. You know, what can I get away with? You know, what buttons? How do I push the buttons in what order to get what result? <laughs> you know what I mean? But with Elvis, it's like, oh, man, we, we know each other well enough. And we know each other well enough where he doesn't bullshit us. He's never going to tell us something is good enough when it isn't. Um, and that's that's what we love about having him around. I mean, there's times where he'll just look at us and be like, it's, it's just not up to par. It's not good enough. And you're like, why? You know, you, you, you obviously every time you create stuff, you always want to fight for its existence. But 
it's funny because, uh, you know, he just stood there and just shake his head again. The seven us fan of me says it sucks. And I'm like, oh, man, really? He's like, you can do better than that. I'm like, oh, now you're challenging us. <laughs> but that's, that's what we love about him. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't stand for, you know, good enough. He always wants it to be better. And when you're in that studio environment and that experience, it's like, there's no clock. Like, there's no time. It's not like... Anytime that we've recorded with him, we've been pretty open-ended um, with how long it's going to take. You know, people ask me all the time, they're like, how long are you going to be in the studio? I'm like, until it's done. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It could be three weeks. It could be six weeks. You just don't know, you know, and you don't really finish until you know that you're finished. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's such a, a well-rounded musician, you know, amazing songwriter, great guitar player, great singer. Um and he just has a good understanding of what we're supposed to sound like, you know, because he was a fan of Seven Us before we ever met. You know, he and his wife knew of us. They knew our, you know, catalog well. Um, he was introduced to us from the home record. So that's sort of the, the bar, you know, he's like, no, he's like, you know, this, this, this isn't, this isn't good enough. And we're just like, really? And he would know, you know, because he's been following us, you know, since, I mean, 20 years, uh, you know, he's definitely kept in touch and, and realized what we've done. And he does have that respect in the fact that he knows that we can go into a studio and make a record without him. Um, but it's much easier when you have that sounding board, you know, that guy who you're looking at going, okay, I know he's going to make it sound great. I know he's not going to tell me what I want to hear. He's going to tell me the honest truth. And, uh, you know, it, with time, I think you develop that trust and that relationship, you know. We don't bullshit each other, and, um, you know, we're, we're always swinging for the fences, especially him. You know, for, for him, it's like, you know, it, it's, that's, that's, the, that's, that's what he does the best, you know, bringing the best of each individual person out. You know, what's it going to take to get the best performances out? I mean, he'll do his homework, too, you know. I mean, when we first started working, he pulled me aside and be like, you know, Fill me in on how Morgan tracks and, you know, what, where, what order of buttons are you going to push? <laughs> like, how far do I need to, you know, do this? And I told him, I was like, look, man, you know, I mean, made a million records with this dude and I, I know how to get the best performances out of him, but you'll figure that out in five minutes, you know, because that's what good producers do. You know, they figure out how to draw the thing out of you that you might not have actually thought was in you in the first place. And uh, he's just really, really good at it. So for us, it's a, it's a comfort zone that's it's super easy to get into. When we show up at Elvis's, you know, we're super comfortable with the studio, super comfortable working with Jeff, um, his engineer, and uh, we just get straight to work. But we have a lot of fun when we're doing it, too, which is different from it, the way that it used to be. You know, back in the day when we first started, you know, you're, you're super green. You, know, you, you don't really know what you're doing so you're kind of throwing everything at the wall and you're trying to figure it out but after you've done 13 records <laughs> with the same five guys you go okay you know we definitely know our strengths and our weaknesses and we try to play to the strengths you know and I, I think Elvis is one of those producers who definitely knows how to get the best out of uh, everybody you know all five of us Awesome, man. I only have a couple more for you, man, John. You've been terrific. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think also about being a veteran band and 13 albums is that you have to learn to kind of self-edit yourself. So just personally, you as a writer and, uh, you know, producer and uh, an artist, like uh, as you get older or as you get more into your career, deeper into your career, do you find yourself 
stricter about what you create and say that's not good enough or that's for some that's for projected and not for seven dust how's that process work for you if it, if it even comes into play at all i think it um in some ways it's almost the opposite like i used to be a lot stricter with you know okay, this, this is this, this is that, this is seven dust, this isn't seven dust. You know, it, now we're projected in the mix. It's like, this is seven dust, this is projected. Okay, this might be some other stuff. I used to put the limitations on stuff, and now um, I kind of have taken a step back from that, and I don't put any limitations on anything. I mean, ever since we did Angel Sun back in 2001, and then we did an acoustic tour, I think we realized that, you know, the amount of gears that seven dust can you know can go through is pretty i mean it, it's it's a wide spectrum you know going from angel sun to something like splinter or strong or broken off called name memory is like a lot of people are like is this the same band <laughs> but you know over 20 years I, I think we've just learned there's 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 room for a lot of stuff in seven dust that we might not have thought that there was so for me i think um Instead of writing for seven dust or writing for projected or writing for anything, I just write for the sake of writing. Just write to make that particular song as good as that particular song or demo or whatever it happens to be. And then it goes into a folder. And uh, at that point, that's where I take my hands off the wheel because it's amazing to me what Clint, Morgan, LJ, and Elvis and Vinny will pick. Because <laughs> if, I, if I were to go through all of my demos right now, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to pick these 10 to focus on, and I guarantee you there's probably only three or four that are in that, that list down everybody else's list. You know, they always go for the most off-the-wall weirdest stuff. Um, you know, a, a song like Alone, uh, nothing left to see here anymore. I was like, this isn't going to work. Like, this is like more 21 Pilots than Seven Dust. And Morgan looked at me and goes, it's going to end up working, and it's going to end up working great. And then Clint heard it, and it ended up being one of his favorite songs. So I was like, for me to try to predict what everyone else is going to react to, I almost have to take that step back, you know, and just say, look, I, I try to make every demo as good as possible, and then just throw it in the folder, and don't get too personal about it, you know? I mean, that's the beauty of having side projects outside of Seven Dust is the fact that there's always a home and a place. Like, if you really feel passionately about a song, and it, it happens to me all the time, if you feel so passionately about something that the other four guys in the band or Elvis don't, it, there's no problem with that because I, I can find a home for it. If I feel strongly enough and I have a vision, then I still have an outlet for it, you know? And there are times where, you know, more you're gonna be like, damn, man, why didn't you push that harder? That's a really, really good song. That should have been a seven good song. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, secretly I'm kind of sitting over there going, all right, don't pick that one, don't pick that one. <laughs> That's kind of why we do it, you know? It's nice to see a demo actually see the light of day and make a record, but at the end of the day, you know, the actual creation of it in the first place is, you know, that's, that's, that's the stuff that you look forward to, you know, being able to impress yourself 25 years after you started it, you know, listening back to a seven rush record and high five and the rest of the guys going, all right, we still excite ourselves with our own music, you know, but that's, that's the goal for us. You know, we're always, we're always thinking of the five guys first, you know, can we listen to this record? Are we proud of this record? And, uh, yeah, the answer is still yes, and I think that's probably why the final answer is still together. 
Nice, man. Well, thankfully for that. Uh, just for a final question, uh, I think very much, very much in the same way as you brought up Eddie and rest in peace to Eddie and, you know, uh, just what a blow to all of music. But uh, I think about the cover, right? The Day I Tried to Live and uh, Soundgarden and Chris Cornell, and it even came out like over the summer, right around the anniversary for Chris, um, or, or at least, you know, it's just still very fresh for me as a fan, but also as a writer. And uh, and Seven Dust is a band you haven't done a ton of covers. You've always felt you very carefully focused on the original so just kind of like this cover made it to an album it's not on a soundtrack it's not a special thing you know it's but it is a special thing it is an actually great cover and uh i just wanted to kind of pick your brain about the choosing of that particular track and why that worked out for you guys that was something that um the song itself was more spearheaded by elvis and tim our manager um because we were discussing a bunch of different soundgarden songs but most of the songs that we were talking about were sort of like the album tracks, something that were like some of the deeper cuts, which would have been really, really cool to do as well. But we kind of, like even when we do covers, we sort of have a tendency to do that. You know, a lot of people are like Inner City Blues, you know, they had no idea that that wasn't an original Seven Dust song when they heard the song. They just thought it was us. We wanted to do something that was like, okay, as soon as it starts, people are going to know, wait a minute, I've heard this before. You know, I recognize that song. And there were only two or three that were getting talked about that were those kind of songs, you know, especially for, for a sound art and song. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, that's the one that just sort of fit the bill. I mean, it checked all the boxes for everybody in the band. And I think, you know, Lujan was super hesitant to do it um, only because it was a Chris Cornell, you know, I mean, anytime you're going to do a Soundgarden song and you're going to really step up to the plate and try to do that as a vocalist, you're towing a very, very fine line because you got to make it sound like Seven Dust, but at the same time, you have to stay true to the original. And Chris was an immense, I mean, his talent was just crazy. You know, the, the stuff that he could do vocally was, I mean, some of it was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> so, you know, for LJ, he's like, man, you know, it's one thing to be over there playing, you know, Chris and Kim's guitar parts. He goes, it's another thing to be singing this thing. And, uh, you know, he just had to build his confidence up enough to be able to get in there and do it. And, I mean, he absolutely knocked it out of the park. I mean, in some ways, I think it might have been, like, one of his best vocal performances on the record. And I think it was just because he took it so seriously, and he did it last. Um, it was the last song that we actually tracked for the record. We had the whole record down, so, you know, nice week or so of, you know, getting in the booth and kind of getting the vocals really dialed in. But, I mean, he just, he absolutely killed it, you know, and... and uh, I think he was he was a little nervous about it just because it's Chris Cornell. I mean, it'd be like me, you know, someone going, oh, we're going to do a Van Halen song. And me and Claire looking at each other going, all right, who's doing the solo? <laughs> you know, like, rock, paper, scissors, I don't want it. <laughs> you know, um, because it, there's such a respect level for for what he did, you know. And uh, vocally, it's, it's man, those are some big shoes to fill. But, uh, but LJ absolutely killed it, man. And it, it was a lot of fun doing it. You know, it was, it was one of those ones where we finished it, we went, okay, we survived it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one thing to do the cover and be like, all right, yeah, that's cool. But this one was like, we could handle with care, you know? And Elvis was, you know, crucial with that. I mean, we, I told him, I was like, the first second that this thing gets weird, we're going to 86 it. You know, I don't want to do it unless we can do it and we can do it some justice and, you know, have it be something that, you know, really turns out cool and uh, I think we were, we were pretty surprised by the outcome. 
Love and respect, man. That's a wonderful end to this interview. Uh, Blood and Stone, the fantastic new album by Seven Dust is out this week. The only Seven Dust show of this year is a live stream this week. John, it is always a pleasure and, a, and an honor, brother, to talk to you about the band and your career. Thank you so much for hanging out with Ghost Cult. Absolutely. You take care. Take care. Thanks, John. Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally, check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.